His name is power. And that's just, that's just fact, huh? I tell you what, the next few weeks at Real Life's going to be a lot of fun. Kids program next week, the adult musical, Gloria, the week after that. Say, Gene, you're not going to be speaking, you're still going to come? Yeah. I think there's scripture, where there is fun, Gene will be. It's in the Bible somewhere, I'll find it, give me a minute. Our Savior, born in a manger, that's a reason to celebrate, Absolutely. The problem is, in order to celebrate, you got to really know him and understand him. we got to celebrate this baby in a manger more than a way in a manger. Then, when we really grasp what's going on here, who he is, and knowing Christ, then we, we can kind of share with our circle of influence, unbelieving, unbelieving friends, and communicate the essential doctrine of Jesus. Our goal here is not win an argument, but maybe even win someone to faith. Help them understand the power of Christ in their lives. Eternity comes through this child alone. That fact is the most vital fact in our entire life. This fact is absolutely vital. Eternity comes through this child, Christ alone. Salvation is available through Christ alone. We've got to be clear on this point. I mean, this is, this is my fear. Pure research revealed that 70% of Americans with a religious affiliation, I mean 70% of church people, feel that other religions, not just their own, can lead to eternal life. That everything is valid. We live in this world of political correctness. A few years ago, the megachurch pastor, Joel Osteen, was interviewed by CNN, uh, Larry King. A lot of subjects, but it doesn't take long for a non-Christian to ask some specific questions He said, is heaven reserved exclusively for Christians? Or could there be multiple paths to God? What an open door. Let me read from the transcript exactly. Larry King, what if you're Jewish, you're Muslim, and you don't accept Christ at all? Joel Osteen, you know, I'm careful about saying who would and who would not go to heaven. I just don't know. Larry King, if you believe that you have to believe in Christ, isn't everybody else wrong? Osteen, well, I don't know. I believe that the Bible teaches a Christian faith, and that's what I believe. His answer, twice, I don't know. If you don't know, how do you celebrate Christmas? The best answer a prominent pastor like Joel Osteen can give about the legitimacy of other faiths is, I don't know. So is it any wonder That people in churches are questioning whether Christ is the only way to be saved and everything else is false. Which which kind of begs a harder question. If every other way works, then why did Jesus come to earth in the first place? Even more aggressive, why did he die on a cross? Raising from the dead. If there are multiple ways to the Father, is Jesus a fool? He died on a cross. Christmas, we got to know Jesus. We have to to understand some vital absolutes about him. And once we know and understand these vital, absolute, doctrinal points, then we really can celebrate. Then Christmas has power. Knowing Jesus is going to be the series for the Advent. And the first critical point, it is the single, only path to eternal life. The doctrine. Wait, wait, I, I see where you're going with this series there, Gene. So I got a question for you. So what? So what? 
If I believe there are multiple paths to God outside of Jesus, what difference does it really make? Is there any harm in me being tolerant to other religions? And other? Well, let me answer that with the most simple answer I can find. Your eternity rests on it. Your eternity rests on this. Your eternity is at stake at this point. And Jesus himself slammed the door on everything else outside of him. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it. But the gate is small and narrow is the way that leads to life. There are few that find it. Easy to be lost. Just do nothing. Ride the ride, coast downstream. It's easy to be lost, but the narrow gate is Christ. And then he can come back and say, therefore, it's me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Not I am a way. I am the way. Life came in a manger 2,000 years ago for me and you. This conversation comes up over and over and over where Jesus declares, it's me. John chapter 14, verses 5 and 6. Why don't you see this as well? Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do I know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father but through me. This is absolutely exclusive. His coming now Christmas takes on real importance. It's a big deal. Maybe this is something we always knew. Something we just ought to periodically talk about and be reminded during Advent. Jesus is not only saying, I am the only way to the Father, but he's, he's piling on, he's adding on and saying, and therefore, everything else is destruction. What if he's wrong? What, what if he's wrong? Maybe everybody goes to heaven, no matter what road you take. Then Christianity is not trusted as reliable. If Jesus is mistaken on this, then he's not all-knowing. And if he's not all-going, and if he's not the Son of God, then his death on the cross means nothing. And then if that means nothing, and then that, it just, the dominoes begin to fall, you get the idea, this is essential. This is the doctrine which everything holds together. This is the doctrine that without this, everything else collapses eventually. Jesus Christ is the singular path to the Father, Period. If Jesus is wrong about this, all Christianity and all of our faith collapses. This is not something for theologians to wrangle about. This is the key to the most important question of all time. How can I be right before God? How can I be made right before the Creator? The creation tends to cry out for the Creator. That's natural. So how do I get right? The key is, is Advent. Advent is nothing more than celebrating, preparing ourselves to celebrate for the one that came. The one that came for me. It brings meaning to Christmas. This issue of exclusivity of Christ is the key. It's the battleground. It's where Satan attacks. It, walking across college campus at the very beginning of the school year, and that's when students buy their books. And if you've ever bought books for a semester of college, you know, it's, it's about a mortgage. They're incredibly expensive. It had just rained, and there were mud puddles everywhere, and a student's walking, and he slips. He doesn't fall, but carrying his brand new books and, and getting his balance, he went, Ugh! and all those books right in the mud. So to reenact, he slips, they fall in the mud, Jesus Christ, 
Why is it that nobody doesn't go, Buddha? <laughs> Why are you laughing? Buddha essentially makes a lot of the same claims. Why doesn't anybody scream Buddha? And, and those of the Islamic Muslim faith, they're not screaming Muhammad. Jews are going, Abraham and Isaac. I mean, why, you ever, ever have that weird thought? Why is it always Jesus Christ? Because Jesus Christ is the only name of power. Satan has a war with Jesus Christ. He's incredibly effective at making the name Jesus used in anger, used almost at a level of profanity. The reason he's not having people scream Muhammad because Muhammad's a myth. He's not going to save anybody. Saying, whoa, Gene, that's not really politically correct. Listen, you want to build our church on political correctness, it'll collapse eventually. Let's build it on the Word of God. The fact of the matter is, Satan has no war with Muhammad or Buddha or anything else because everything else is a myth. Jesus Christ is the only way, and his is the only name being taken in profanity, being taken in anger, being taken in vain, because Satan has a very particular war against the name of Jesus Christ, because that's the only name of actual power. Since, since, the, since the fall of man, I mean, the beginning of mankind, the Garden of Eden, there has been this ongoing issue. Will we come into reconciliation with God? Will we reconcile ourselves back to God after the fall on his terms? He's laid out the terms, not us. And his terms has always actually been blood. Now, God does not just forgive sins. All right, heresy on Sunday morning. He doesn't. He has said, I will forgive sins as long as certain conditions are fulfilled. And the dominant condition is blood. You ever wonder, what did those guys do before Jesus? We claim the blood of Jesus Christ. What about those Old Testament guys? Well, they had to fulfill the covenant, the promise that God had made. That's why they had the blood sacrifice. That's why they, they sacrificed the lamb. The blood had to be shed. Once the blood was shed, they can go to the Father and say, this is the symbol of my sorrow. That's why Jesus is called the lamb. He has come to be our lamb. It's his terms, not ours. He has said, you want to be right with me, Here's one singular path, the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're created with, with, with this passion within us. He has built within us this not only interest in God, but in our private moments, a desire to actually know him. In our private moments, a desire to actually connect. In our private moments, a desire to serve him and know him and enter into this relationship. Satan can do nothing about that. He cannot stop that. So, what does he do? And I don't want to give glory to the enemy, but frankly, what he does is brilliant. Because I told you before, the Bible calls Satan evil over and over and over. He's evil. Not one time, never, not one time does the Bible call Satan stupid. He's got a perverse wisdom. He can't stop our desire for God. So what he does is he floods us with gods. He floods us with all these other lights. We have this one shining light born, coming to us in, in, in a manger. And Satan says, I can't stop that light, so I'll flood you with lights. If you were stranded in, in the mountains at night and it's pitch black, one single light leading you to safety would really be beneficial. A thousand lights would be a mess. And if 999 led you off a cliff, you got a major problem. 
So Satan says, I can't stop this light. So what I'll do, I will flood you with lights. It's a story about a father teaching his daughter to drive. Not me and my daughter, but it's, not, it's uh, uh, someone else. She's 15-ish, about the age you learn to drive. And he tells her, understand this. If you're driving on a country road in the winter, without warning, we can have a whiteout. Now, I don't need to explain this to you. We've lived it. Without warning, the snow could come so fast, the fog could come in, and you can't see in front of you. Now, you're inexperienced driving. And you, you, you can become disoriented so quickly in a whiteout. It's terrible. He said, should, should this happen as you're just kind of learning to drive and you're in a country road, do me a favor. Don't try to navigate the road. Pull off. Put your emergency lights on. Because what happens is they're very good about plowing, and the plows tend to work from outside the city in. So if you, if, if you get stuck and a plow comes, just pull in behind that plow and follow his light. And his light is going to lead you right back home. Common sense. Sure enough. Sure enough. She's just, just got her license, just getting going, and here's the whiteout. And she remembers the words her father had said, follow the, the plow. She pulls over, puts her directional lawns, keeps the heat running, and pray that the plow comes quickly. Sure enough. Here comes the plow. She goes, yeah. Pulls in behind him, just tooling right along, following the plow. The plow makes a turn that she's not familiar with, but she remembers the wisdom of her father. You can become disoriented in the whiteout. Just follow the plow. Well, he's, he's beginning to make erratic turns, fast turns, and she's going, I know what my father told me, but this doesn't make sense. But she just kept following the bright light. Then it dawned on her, what if he's put together, there's a young girl following him, and he's leading me out in the middle of nowhere because this road is not the road. He's leading me in the middle of nowhere to do something terrible to me. So now she's getting a little nervous about following this light, but she doesn't want to break off. She's lost. Sure enough, the plow comes to a complete stop. Now her heart's going, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. He gets out of the plow, big guy walking to her. Should I bang on the horn? What, what, what do I do? What's going to happen to me now? He bangs on her window. She is just beyond terrified. He's rolled out of the window. I finished plowing this parking lot. You're going to follow me to the next one? <laughs> the point. Yeah, it's a great story. The point. The brightest light you're following may not lead you anywhere. And here's what I've discovered. Satan has a way of making his light brighter than Jesus. He yells where Jesus whispers. He has a way of making his light so bright. And he has a way of making his lie make so much sense. A lie that's stupid doesn't work. He's going to find a lie for you. He's going to find a weapon for you that works. And it's going to be such a logical, bright light. It just seems like this ought to be what I should do. And the light of Christ, which, which sometimes is a little dimmer for a lot of people. But we have to recognize a life without Christ is still a good life. Wow, this guy's got guts. I hate it when we come to people in churches and say, you know, if you're not serving Christ, you're going to have a miserable life. Well, there are people who aren't serving Christ going, you know, my spouse loves me, my kids love me, I got a good job. I, I don't know that I have a miserable life. We might as well be honest. 
You can have a decent life outside of Christ. You can. The problem, you knew there was going to be a problem. Come on. The problem, every event, some are good, weddings, some are good events, but every event tends to be just an event. Your life ends up being a series of events with no grand purpose. You get up, you go to work. You come home, you go to work. Your life ends up being nothing without this grand, grand purpose. And part, part of the way you feel like, what's it all about? At some point, what's this all about? There's got to be something bigger than this. There's got to be something bigger than going to work. There's got to be something bigger than just being a good man or a good woman. There's got to be more. You can't have a life that's a reasonable existence outside of Christ, but it's just a series of events that are unrelated. And then, when the roof caves in, and God help us, you know what I'm talking about, man. Sometimes life caves in. I think there are people that have jumped out of a building, and as they're flying by, as they go by the eighth floor, you hear them go, so far, so good. (laughs) Our life tends to be so far, so good, but then when it rains on us, where is the reserve? What is within us that is bigger than us, that partners with us through it that time when it rains on us? A life without Christ can be a life. You have a decent life. You don't need Christ to create a decent life. You can forge that out yourself. But there's something always within you that says there's got to be more than this. Don't underestimate Satan's resolve at shining a light before you and saying, you ought to follow this. Because this is pretty good. While he leads you right off the cliff of eternal death. One thing we know about Satan without a shadow of doubt, he's great at lying. He's not good at it. I mean, he's great. And he's watched you from the moment you were born, not because he loves you, but designing a strategy to destroy you. What light can I put in your face that works? It may not work for anybody else, but it works for you. What light can I shine that I can drown out the whisper of Christ if I can keep this light in your face hard enough? Because he is really good at creating the believable lie and the attractive light. Look at, Jesus talked about this, John eight forty four. You belong to your father, the devil. You do what he wants. He was a murderer from the beginning and was against the truth. There's no truth in him. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he shows what he's really like because he's a liar and he's a father of lies. Satan distracts people from following the light of the world. Distraction. And eventually, he puts so many lights that you can believe nothing or even worse, you believe everything. And Satan himself says, you know, maybe... I'm the light. Satan will go so far as to say, I am the light. Really? 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. This doesn't surprise us. Even Satan changes himself to look like an angel of light. There are people who've told themselves they're following Christ. They're not. I thought this was going to be fun. <laughs> there are people who have told themselves They're following the light of Christ, and they're not. That's how good he is. He disguises himself. So after 2 Corinthians 11 14, he disguises himself. What a shock. The next verse, 11 15, just follow through the very next verse. Therefore, it's not surprising that Satan's servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. 
Christmas is pretty important. Advent's a big deal. The light came into the world. The single solitary path to the Father. The single solitary path that I can reconcile myself to God. The single solitary path to eternity is Jesus Christ, period. It's not up for negotiation. That single light when so many other lights try to shine. The light of the world is here. And those who try to minimize this, particularly in the thought of all the world religions, don't understand spiritual warfare in general. And millions of Christians are surrendering at this point to the one way to the Father. So Gene, this No Jesus series, I put it together. It's got to be an advent of intolerance. Welcome to Satan's strategy. He can turn a message of hope into a message of hate. This is not about intolerance. Because Jesus says, anybody, anybody. John 6, 37, what a promise. He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. He that comes, I will in no wise cast out. What do you think? Think he died on a cross for everybody but you? He that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. But it's our responsibility to come. He is here. He is the single source of eternity. He is the single source of life with a purpose. He is a single source of life of spiritual adventure. We need to remember this, particularly at Advent. And his birth isn't really a birth. He is the Christ of the Old Testament. He is the Christ at creation. He chose to come in the simplicity of a manger. And he told us, why'd you come? To seek and to save. He told us, I have come to seek and to save. This is not an invitation of intolerance. Whosoever will, it's an invitation of love. Saying, whoever you are, there's no reason to live your life decent. There's no reason to live your life as a good man, as a good woman, as a good person. There's no reason to live your life with this this event and that event and this event without a real general purpose, stringing them all together. He says, I am the purpose. I am Savior. I am eternity. I am the singular light, and without me, every other light is destruction and going in circles. The doctrine of Christ. During Advent, we want to spend our time knowing him so that we know what we're celebrating in the first place. Let's, let's just stand together this morning. Father, we just come before you. And we're reminded again, we're not playing a game here. Church is designed to be exciting and passionate, but it's not a pep rally. We're here to be serious in your word. We're here to be serious in our praise. Praise is is the key. You have said the Holy Spirit inhabits the praise of his children. That's specifically and purposely why we have a time of praise before we get into the word. The word is also praise, but we want to have that time of praise that invites the Holy Spirit into this place to speak to us one by one. To you, this is not a crowd. Shepherd knows the sheep. And we have praised. And the Holy Spirit is here. And we've been in your word. And Father, we're not going to build our our life on political correctness. We're not going to build our life on on, on culture. We're, We're going to build our life on you that you might give me a purpose. I can float downstream and be a good person and be lost. God help us. There's going to be so many good, honest people 
who are lost. I can float downstream. God in heaven, I want purpose. At Advent, I want to come before the one that is the single way to the Father. God in heaven, other lights have been more important. Satan has, he knows me. He is so evil, yet he knows me. And he knows the light that has worked on me. Maybe it's the light of other responsibilities. Maybe, maybe it's the light of my work. Maybe it's the light of other pressures. Maybe, and it's, it's just pushed you away. I got sucked into other stuff, and now I'm going in circles following a plow on a parking lot. And my life isn't any farther along now than it was last Christmas. God in heaven, I come to the one that shed his blood, that single source of eternity. God, if I need to come to you and ask for forgiveness, forgive me. May I focus on you and not allow the scream of Satan, who loves to scream when you whisper, not allow the scream to take my emotions, to take my heart, and take my spirit. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your power. As we worship together today, worship the one that is the way and the truth and the life. The holy name of Jesus. The powerful name of Jesus. What a perfect song that Josh chose right before I spoke. The name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Something we've done by tradition is quote scripture together. Uh, I, I, this is the commercial. Uh, we, we have a great advent at Real Life Coming. We honestly do. Next week with the kids is going to be so much fun. Then Gloria. And then on the, uh, that's 8 and 15. The 22nd, we're going to build on this. We're, we're going to get into the deeper doctrine of knowing Jesus. So we're prepared to really celebrate Christmas. Then Christmas Eve, uh, the Christmas Eve service, I'm going to kind of wrap everything up on the knowing Jesus, a little shorter devotional time, but tie it all together. i got to tell you, you want to do everything you can to not miss a single time that we worship during Advent. It's going to be an incredibly powerful Advent season at Real Life. Scripture, it's a little bit longer, but let's say it together. Luke 2, 9 to 11. The glory of the Lord was shining around them, and they became frightened. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I am bringing you good news that will be a great joy to all people. Today, your Savior is born in the town of David. He is Christ the Lord. Yes. God bless you. Thank you for worshiping.